0: In the 21st century
1: Two moving iron podcast markets with Sean Hackett. Sean, how are you doing this morning?
0: Pretty good. I'm doing really good. We're uh, we're uh, getting some nice dry weather for once here. We've had a lot of rain here lately. So
1: yeah, you guys have gotten a lot of rain down there of late. Not as yeah. Cool. Well, Sean is with uh, uh, Hackett Financial Advisors, and they are based out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is a regular here on the Moving Iron Podcast, and I like to have him on because he has a uh, pretty good handle on about everything that has to do with any commodity market out there. So he is a wealth of knowledge, and I really enjoy the conversation we have. So first, let's start off with this. So last week, you and I were texting back and forth on some stuff, and the Federal Reserve had announced they're going to do QE4, which is not necessarily a good thing, but it's a it's a kind of a, I guess, a band-aid to kind of forego any, like, slip into recession, I guess is the best way to kind of put it in a nutshell. Um, but it does leave a lot of residual effects when you look at the amount of money that they're pumping back into uh, the, the the U.S. dollar. Now, when you look at the U.S. dollar, comparatively to the rest of the world, we'll still have a very strong currency. And uh, it's been actually a big hindrance to us here of late when you start looking at the amount of corn that that's coming out of Brazil, they're they're, they have a, there's a set to double last year's um, exports in October. So um, they, they just, it's it's so cheap down there to uh, produce stuff and what they have and, and the way the real is reacting to uh, all the corruption and everything else they have going down there. Um, (laughs) It's it's significantly cheaper to buy corn out of Brazil right now. So why don't you talk about that a little bit and the position of the dollar and how that's affecting the overall export market in the U.S.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, a strong dollar always makes our exports uncompetitive, especially against a country like Brazil, which has always been a prolific in selling corn and soybeans, and cotton and other things that we like to sell. Um, uh, and I also think that you know they're probably looking out ahead and said if we do if a if a trade deal actually gets signed and the Chinese focus their buying going forward at least for a little while on U.S. supplies and stop buying from us maybe we want to get ourselves front and loaded here um, and and I think that's something that, that may be why we're seeing exports out of Brazil so large is because they're trying to say, why we still can sell to the Chinese, why don't we just sell it all? Uh, because, you know, maybe they do cut, cut a deal and we're cut out for a while. We don't want to get caught having extra corn to sell. And so all that's factoring in to why corn exports have been dismal, you know, for quite some time.
1: Yep. So you bring up a good point. So um, it, the U.S. and China trade thing has been all over the board. I mean it sounds like now they're kind of back to where they started at It doesn't sound like they're really, I mean, everything that I've read, it sounds like that. Um, it seems like, um, both of them are stuck on, you know, it's like 85% of it's done, but there's like that 15% that neither one of them are willing to, to really, to budge on, um, you know, Trump put out some tweets here last week about how everyone needs to buy bigger tractors and farmers need to buy more land and yada, 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 which didn't affect the markets at all. You know, a year ago, that would have had a, a yeah. $2 rally, but um, you didn't see that happen out there. What do you see happening with the trade war right now and these trade talks? And and I guess, do you feel like it's just like a an internal stalemate here?
0: It is a stalemate. I, I think what both China and China and, um uh, Trump are trying to do right now is at least get some minimal agreement on trading agriculture right now. The Chinese know that they're entering the period where they need to buy from us. You know, we're at the point where, you know, we really do need to sell some to them. And I think what where both sides are at is they feel, while we're trying to get rid of that, take care of that 15% you just mentioned, you know, let let's come to some agreement on how we're going to trade agriculture for a little while. Uh, and let's be a little more friendly about it and we can kind of kick the can down on that 15 percent uh, so i think that's what's going on apparently they're trying to put in words what they supposedly verbally agreed to last week so that they can sign it uh in chile at, at this big meeting global meeting that they're going to have uh, in four weeks that's that's appears to be you know where we're at and um you know, We'll find out if they sign it. I, I still say you have to focus on what do the Chinese actually need to buy. Uh, do they need to buy soybeans? Probably not. When the pig herds down 50% year over year, they probably don't really need to buy soybeans. They'll buy some, but what do they really need? I think they really need to buy pork, uh, beef, chicken. I think they really need to buy cotton. Uh, you know, they really need to probably buy some corn. Um, because of their ethanol policy that they have over there. So, so I would kind of focus on those things they really need to buy, and I'd stay away from those things that they, that they claim they want to buy, but they probably don't need to. I think if, we, if you, one does that, you're probably going to be okay um, with how everything plays out with this short-term phase one trade mm-hmm. agreement, whatever you want to call it, that they may sign here in a, in a few weeks. I still think those are the markets that are going to get the most impact one way or the other
1: yeah i mean trump did call that or kind of extended somewhat of an olive branch as much as one can i guess in a trade war at this this kind of a ceasefire thing that you know we you don't tax us we won't tax you type of thing and just for the time being till we get some stuff figured out so i don't know it's kind of back and forth and it's one of those things where something absolutely needs to be happened but needs to happen but there's a uh it's different, man. You know, you, when, you, when you're elected president in China, you're there forever. So time really, you can stretch things out and let things go. And the way our political process works, it's uh, kind of need to get something done about every year in order to keep, keep the ball rolling. So
0: True. That's uh, true. But, and, and, and and because we, we don't really have any details you know we get these you know 50 billion number but over what time frame how, what would that? you know where is it how much would it be soybeans how much would it be corn how much would it be dairy how much would it be pork would they buy it you know front end loaded back end loaded would be a nice even buying throughout you know the whole year but we we really have no idea of the distribution of any of this and we don't even know if they actually would, in fact follow through with it (laughs) well
1: they haven't yet i mean all the stuff that comes out i mean we're supposed to buy billions of dollars worth of stuff and and they make one buy they make one payment or make one buy one big shipment of whatever and you never hear from them again so it's it's uh they're proving that maybe what they're maybe they're saying maybe they're doing what they're saying they're going to do we're just getting kind of a embellished View of what it's supposed to be, so I don't know. Who knows? Like you said, there's no information out there about anything that's going on, so it's kind of hard for anyone to make any decisions or educated guesses about what can happen.
0: The only thing we do know for a fact, and we know this for a fact. We do know they need the pork, and they are buying a tremendous amount of U.S. pork.
1: Yes, they are doing that. That, is-
0: that we know, and it's been consistent. It's been it's been going parabolically. And, and, and so that we do know, and I do believe that's going to continue because they just have to do it. Uh, it has nothing to do with the trade deal. They've already gotten rid of the tariffs anyway on that, and they're buying in a panic fashion. That's the only thing I can say for, for sure. That's probably going to continue. But everything else, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know.
1: Yes. All right. So let's let's talk about uh, the soybean market here a little bit. The soybeans have taken a backseat to uh, the corn harvest for quite a while here. And why, I, I don't understand, because if there's anything out there, I think that has the biggest amount of risk in, in what we see as far as, as overall crop production goes is soybeans. I, mean, I drove across the I-80 this summer, and it looked like everybody planned the exact same thing on the exact same day at the exact same time. And because everything was about two and a half foot tall all the way across. And you can see down the rows from Western Nebraska all the way to central Iowa or Illinois, you know, so nothing there. Um, These planting delays, you know, we're we're starting to see, or not planting delays, but uh, harvest progress reports that are coming out are like record lows. And the stuff that we see happening there is, is starting to have a kind of starting to raise a few eyebrows but has done nothing with the market. So talk about the soy market a little bit you see happening there.
0: Well, soy market is really, really interesting. You know, we went from this billion bushel carryout market. It's all over maybe, maybe zero bids on the way, you know, uh, from a year ago. And despite terrible demand overall uh, for exports and, 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 but when you look at every, you know, the ending stocks keep coming down, they keep coming down, they keep coming down, they keep coming down. Carly- Coal grain stocks knocked down. Now we're down to 450, around four four 450 million uh, carry out. You f- shave a few bushels off the top on uh, on the crop, which I think we're going to do. Uh, you know, the Chinese usually buy a little more for the next three or four or five months normally. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, it's not a stretch to, put, to think that we're pushing back and we're pushing 350 million bushel carry out in soybeans. I mean, you know, that's not running out, but that's, you know, you're, you're a South American crop problem away from a really, really uncomfortably tight situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? yeah. and and I, so I look at that and I say, well, wow, that's really, you know, we're really on the, on the, on the cusp of a weather problem away from a wild situation on soybeans. And, and, and so it's, it's a market to really watch. And this is, this is based upon terrible export demand, right. you know, this is already baked in the cake that we have terrible export demand. And so so if the numbers are that low and the Chinese get worried that South America crop's gonna be in trouble or they're not sure, they're gonna buy soybeans. You know, they, they still need soybeans, by the way, even though the, the African swine fever has knocked the demand now, they still need soybeans. So it's a really interesting market. And I do think that, you know, as you said, the focus has been corn, corn, corn. But I think the sleeper is soybeans could really, you know, surprise to the upside and possibly be a leader uh, later in the year, especially if we're correct about you know some problems in South America. Whether this year versus last, I think I think we have quite a I think we have ten dollars soybean potential, you know, on the market here. Uh, you know, the not too distant future. I think it's very possible, unthinkable a year ago, but very possible now that could happen. Right, so.
1: especially in South America right now. They're having their they're having some dryness issues down there with some planting that they're trying to do and not necessarily getting the, the best emergence that they've had in the past. So maybe this is the year we can see something like that happen.
0: And what's also interesting, it's something not many people are talking about, is it has been super, super cold so far in Argentina and in Western Brazil where they grow most of the soybeans in Mato Grosso Super cold. Like, I mean, it has been below normal temperatures for the entire planting season growing season thus far. And i mean by a little, by a lot. Um, and it has a lot to do with this stratospheric warming event we talked about right. uh, that took place over uh, the Antarctic, South Pole, and, it, and that we've gotten a negative Antarctic oscillation, which forces this cold air to push up uh, into Argentina and Western Brazil. And, and all the forecast I see says it's going to remain extremely cold. And so I think we could be looking at Late-developing crop. Sound familiar? <laughs> um, but, yeah. but I really think that, that we're going to be talking about late-developing. It's not developing on time. It's way behind. And all the yield problems that go with that, it's, and it's something I think that coldness is not being talked about, but I think we'll be talking more about it in a month from now. So so all is not well down there. You're correct. It's not, everything's not going well this year.
1: Yeah. So – I, a lot of our carryout issues could be uh just taken up, taken care of by the by the simple weather effects that we see happening. Um I've talked to a lot of folks kind of all around the pla all over the country here. And uh interestingly, I was talking to a friend of mine down in Texas and they were they were uh chopping corn down there for silage and they were at like 15 and 20 tons an acre when they were normally at like 25 and 30, 35 tons an acre. And so that's significantly off of where they were at and they weren't even so much worried about the tons as, as they were the overall quality of what they were cutting too, because it just never really did what it was supposed to. And so these uh, these weather events that we see happening are are uh, are real and they're they're taking effect and they're they're making a difference in what we see happening so far in this this production here.
0: Absolutely, and and, and certainly they, they, had, they had a better go of it than 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 the further north you went. I mean, so they, they should have be having the better the better side of the equation, right. and it's not very good. And so we can only imagine what things will look like as we get more into the, the northern belt. And and I think a lot of acres won't even get harvested. It'll just will just it'll just not get harvested, and i will go into winter with I don't know how many millions of those acres there will be, but there's going to be millions of acres that aren't that are not gotten uh you know yeah. i'm sure about that so
1: yeah now I'm, I'm i'm really interested to watch these uh these monthly crop reports as they come out uh not only the the, the WASDE reports but also like the crop progress reports uh, or uh harvest progress reports that come out and yeah. i am waiting for that day you know we got through October's, and it was kind of a whatever you know we had a anomaly kind of take place a bunch of uh algorithms took over and sold off everything and then they came in the next day and bought everything back plus some and kind of had a good bounce back but you know i think that vol too that you're seeing when you start looking at when you start looking at what's going to happen in the uh the november report when it comes out that's going to be a hard and fast number there uh, there's going to be a good sign of what bushels look like in november and what that harvest progress report looks like too because by november Everybody in the U.S. is cutting or picking corn by then and cutting beans. And so that will be a good um, a good kind of barometer heading into that January report.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always felt the November report this year is going to be the key report where the U.S. they would finally give us a, a real shot at what's going on, not a, a guess. Up to this point, it's been a wild guess. They've just thrown numbers out yes. because they have to. But that's going to be not only, like you said, hard, a much more tangible view of what's yields are really looking like but it'll also continue to show how far behind we probably are still going to be in right. november and 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 and, and all some people can start putting the math down and going this is not good yeah. <laughs> right this is really really not very good here and as i said if we if we could get some south american weather thrown in there in november december it, it could be quite an exciting um uh, winner for uh, for the grain markets uh, the first one in quite some time i i think it's going to be i really think it's going to be so
1: last thing on the grain markets and we'll jump over to talk about cotton a little bit but with the strength of the dollar and what we see and if there is a weather event and let's say we do have a run up over four bucks you know get that 415 number maybe that 425 number something similar to what we saw earlier this summer um how's that gonna bode for the u.s uh overall exports if we might be the only game in town so it is what it is at that point but um i guess what's your reaction to that i mean we look at that kind of dynamic
0: well i mean the dollar has a long-term impact but in the short term if everyone's worried about supply and everyone looks at south america and says oh my gosh things are not looking good and oh my gosh we know that that, you know uh, the u.s crop is not as good as it should have been, you know, then the people are going to buy what they have to buy. I mean, they may not like the price they have to pay for it, uh, but, but but you know, in a, in a in a situation of I need to buy corn from the U.S., the exports will go up. Um, all it means, you know, so it, it doesn't prevent that from happening. <clears throat> but we know that if the dollar stays strong, that, that can only be a short-term impact. Uh, in the intermediate term, the strong dollar will eventually – you know, do what it does and hurt exports and other countries' prices. If our price goes up to four and a quarter, four thirty, well, that means the real corn price is going to go really high because the real is so weak, and, and they're going to have a huge production the following season. So it it, it has a, a sh- the short term, it won't make an impact if it's a true supply crisis. In the term, it always does.
1: Right. So. Okay. All right, cotton uh, something we talk about here quite a bit. Cotton market is. Uh, I was reading the report yesterday off of, of uh, Pro Farmer, and they were talking about how uh cotton market finished up 131 points uh, yesterday. Looks like they have, they've had a fairly decent, kind of steady, bullish-type run here over the last 30 days, and it's been very incremental. It's not been these huge wide swings or anything, but it's just kind of gradually been kind of growing up. Obviously, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, a season high, you know, the seasonal thing that we're seeing happening here. But talk about the cotton market we see happening there.
0: Yeah, I mean, seasonally, uh, you know, we talked about this several times before that, you know, October the, is when the cot market likes to start to rally. And it is. Um, and uh, and we, we also talk about how when the Federal Reserve starts lowering rates, they start printing money. The cot market has a knack of looking out a year ahead and saying, well, that means we're probably going to have, at least for a little while, maybe some improved economic activity, even though, once as you said, it may not be the right thing to do. It's what's being done. Um, and, and so that, that forewarning of better economic activity usually makes buyers commit to the market. And plus, we have a lot of problems that uh, crop production-wise, not only in the U.S., but also in India, that the market is starting to understand more. Every month that goes by, we get more information about the crop's not quite as good here, it's not quite as good there. And we also know that the Chinese, this time of the year, have to buy U.S. cotton to blend with their lower-quality cotton. Just like they have to buy, you know, other other markets from us because there's no one else really to sell it to them. And so, I really like what's going on here. Should we sign any kind of a trade deal um, that brings them into the cotton market even more? So be it. But I still think cotton works higher. We've talked about maybe upper 60s to lower 70s as a as a as a focal point to go to in the first quarter of the year. And I think, you know, that's, I still think that's a good outlook for cotton going forward. Casey, I really like the market here.
1: Yeah, they have a. Uh, I mean, I think cotton. Like I said, like you said, you know, cotton's so much dependent on the economy. <clears throat> what happens over there, and a lot of key growing areas have a lot of crazy things happen to them right now. Where, like you said, India was wicked dry. Now it is now it's wicked wet, and it's just and know cotton hates wet weather when it's when it's putting on bulls. Man, it's it's when it's filling bulls. It's the worst possible time to have.
0: And we had cold weather in Texas, frost. Right. Uh, just things are not supposed to happen here. <laughs> right,
1: a lot of crazy things happen. So there's some, there are some, some positive signs out there. They might not be overwhelmingly big ones, but they are.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, this is not a big, big bull market. You know, this is a hey, a tradable rally, a nice, solid seasonal rally. You know, into the first quarter that. A farmer can sell in the, in the upper 60s, low 70s, and, and, and you know, he, he can make that price work. It's, it's better than the mid-50s where we were, you know, a month, month and a half ago. So,
1: All right, let's talk about the soft markets here real quick. This is something that I don't really follow much, but it's interesting to talk about. So you got coffee, sugar, orange juice, all those fun things that get traded on the, uh, on the commodity marketplace. So of all those out there you see happen right now, what's the one do you see that has the, has the biggest potential to, to really take off and run?
0: I would say in the short term, Casey, I would say probably sugar does. Um, And it's kind of somewhat similar reason uh, for cotton, uh, like cotton, because um, when you look at India, every single crop they produce, we're getting reports that the crops are down. So the rice crop down 15%, uh, you know, and now the the sugar crop is estimated to being down possibly 20%, which is, you know, and India is a massive producer of sugar. Uh, it will be the second year in a row of a global deficit for the sugar market. We know that Brazil is continuing to convert, you know, record amounts of sugarcane over to ethanol and not refined sugar. Um, and so, when you throw all that into the mix, and when we went back and looked at what really gets the sugar market going, it's a short India crop. When the India crop's short, that gets the market rocking and rolling. And on top of it, Thailand, which has become the second largest exporter of rice of a uh, of sugar in the in the world. Uh, their crops down fifteen to twenty percent because of dryness. So we look at that market and we feel uh, that market has a lot of reasons to go up for uh, you know just a supply demand mismatch. And there's just nothing that's going to change that with the price level being where it's at um, until prices were to go up to stimulate acreage expansion again. And so we think that market looks really really good to us. Smart money, uh, the capital flows that we monitor, as you know, in 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 ag markets we have a very very strong buy signal right now in the sugar market it's really the only ag market that we have a current buy signal in um, and seasonally the sugar market loves to rally from now into the first quarter kind of like cotton so if we had to you know take a stand like we we always do we would say the sugar market has the best prospect right now for a credible rally we think the market could go to 14 15 cents you know from the 12 12 and a half cents it is now uh, which would be you know once again, not this massive big bull market, but certainly a credible rally into the first quarter.:
1: right. All right, so rice market was another one that this spring had an incredibly hard time getting stuff planted, especially down in Arkansas and uh, Mississippi in that area, with the amount of rain they were getting in the delta region of, of the uh, us and so what's happened with this, the rice market and how has it kind of gone through harvest and what we see now, and how's that market looking?
0: Well, the rice market. We have the Western Hemisphere rice market, which is North America, South America, and then we have the the, the Chinese, the, the Asian rice market, you know, which is which is Thailand, Vietnam, China, that sort of thing, India. Right. Well, the Western Hemisphere rice market is tight as a drum. It's probably the tightest supply demand fundamental situation we've ever seen. Really, uh, they had terrible weather in South Brazil, where they grow, um, uh, you know, where they grow rice down there. Of course, we had terrible. Uh, Whether here and what's interesting, you talk about quality problems for grains. What we're finding is is that uh, you know the crop yields are 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 not good, but when you actually go to mill the rice, the milling yields are just atrocious because the quality of the rice is so bad. Um, And so, so even the yields you're getting out of the field in Arkansas, when you actually go to mill it, it's even worse. Um, And and we look at that market, you know, it's going to be look. it, It needs to bid up for acres. Uh, South America does not look like they're having floods and terrible rains down there. So it doesn't look like they're going to get the acres in the ground. So the U.S. is going to have to make up the difference. So that market's going to have to stay strong, Casey, well into the spring to make sure we get those acres planted, providing the weather allows.
1: (laughs) Exactly right. Yep. All right, Sean. Well, good information as usual, man. Appreciate you being on the podcast. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about your smart money reports, what's the best way to do that?
0: Our website is the best at Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors The you know front page, the home page is all kinds of interviews and webinars and podcasts and things, and give them a great idea of what we do to see if our you know our analysis might be helpful for your listeners.
1: Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Tune Radio, and SoundCloud for the podcast. And you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you want to talk about any of this other stuff that we've talked about on here before. So, Sean, till uh, next week, have a good one,
0: and we'll talk to you then, bud. Sounds good, Casey. Thanks. Moving Iron in the 21st century Was